Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. If you're listening to us on AM 970 or a range of other platforms, you're about to hear the voice of my colleague, my consigliere. That's a uh, Godfather reference. You're yeah. not a big fan of the Godfather. Mary Gamba, who is the co-host and executive producer. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. And I do like the Godfather. I just don't live and breathe by the Godfather like you no do. No one likes it. I love it. You love I it. I live by it. Yeah. I believe in it. In fact, who would be so ridiculous as to put a chapter in their book on leadership hmm. called Lessons in Leadership on the Godfather? You. It's true. I know. Keep your friends close and? And your enemies closer. Oh, okay. You did pay attention. Yep. Mary, before we introduce our good friend Pat Lyons from Seton Hall University, tell folks where they can find us. Yeah, they could subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast and Google Play. They can also find Don't us miss on- Spotify, will you? And Spotify. I know. This is brand new to me. Got to remember the age thing. Go I'm ahead. just not up to speed. AM 970, Fios On Demand, NJBIA.org, ROI, NJ as well. And they can also follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And also on our website, we have a ton of great articles for free. They can get information on your books, and that's stand-deliver.com. All right, enough plugging. We'll thank our sponsors in just a minute. Pat Lyons, former athletic director at Iona now, Seton Hall University, former athletic director there as well, the currently the chief of staff at Seton Hall University. Good to see you, buddy. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's do this. You were just saying before we got on the air that you played college hockey? Right, about 80 years ago. All right, stop. Let's get right into this. How much of your approach to leadership is based on your experience in sports? Uh, yeah, I think any athlete would tell you it's the foundation of everything you do. You know, when I was an AD, which again was the better part of my career for 16, 17 years, I would always tell coaches. At both Iona and at, at both Iona Seton and Seton Hall, Hall right. you know, about eight and eight. I would always tell coaches that great players win games, but great teams win championships. And that's what kind of goes back to that being on a team mentality that nothing's ever going to get accomplished unless you have a team. You surround yourself with a team and you surround yourself with a team that can focus on the same goal. So. It seems like ex-athletes are always asked that same question. How much of being on a team and growing up playing sports has sort of laid the foundation for what your beliefs are in leadership? And I think it's incredible how much it, it plays into who you are, what you are, what you believe in. Mary, let's uh, plug our sponsors because yeah, we wouldn't be here without them. <clears throat> no, thank you. First of all, to NJ Resources, New Jersey Resources and Prager Metis, who are sponsors of Lessons in Leadership, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and then a slew of others. We have Gibbons Law Firm, MD Advantage, St. Joseph's Health, Hackensack Meridian Health. We have Valley Investors, RWJ Barnabas Health, and the list goes let's on and on. Let's just keep thanking sponsors all day. Yeah, we can do uh, that. By the way, can we also thank the folks at East Main Media Studio, yes. Brian? Don't act like you didn't expect that. What? Who? <laughs> yeah, stop. We're, let's get into this right away. How, how much time do you spend, not just formally as the AD, but also as the chief of staff? And again, because we're big Seton Hall basketball fans, I'll get married to a game. How important is it from a leadership point of view, a relationship point of view, because to me, leadership and relationship building key, thanking sponsors? Especially with athletics, quite a bit. You know, when you say sponsors, I, you know, coming off the you guys just thanking your sponsors, you know, people who are investing in you, I guess is what you're going for. Who believe in you. Who believe in you, believe in what you're doing, believe in your, your vision, your mission, and everything that you're doing. As an AD, you're, you were constantly doing it, whether it was sponsors, and, and I don't want to call them sponsors, but donors. Partners. Are, partners, we're the equivalent for here. As an AD, you're spending probably 70, 80% of your time cultivating donors, soliciting donors. Keeping them happy. Keeping them happy, making sure they're happy. It's a lot easier to do that when your basketball team's winning, obviously, especially at Seton Hall. That's right. Um, but no, the majority of the time is. You know, let's actually jump into this. We're taping this program at the end of 2019. It'll be heard and seen a little bit after that. So we won't date ourselves. A lot of the things we'll be talking about will be evergreen. But what I'm curious about is this. 
And we were having a conversation a couple months back on our public television side. We're going to be doing a lot of programming around sports and media, sports and, and society. That being said, what is the biggest difference between going from being the AD, the athletic director, to becoming the chief of staff with a new president at Seton Hall, A, and B, how important is sports to the Seton Hall brand? Load of question, I know. Yeah, I'll answer the second one first because that's the question that always gets asked. And the easiest thing I can say is, and I hate to say this because at our core, we're an academic institution, right? That's what higher ed is. One of the best. You know, Proud to be teaching there. Go ahead. Absolutely. And that's what we do. But whether we like it or not, we are known for men's basketball. Of all the travels I've done, and before I even came to Seton Hall, I knew it because of basketball. And when we're traveling the country, inevitably people just go right to men's basketball. Another way I just kind of amplify this example is my first three or four years at Seton Hall was alongside our basketball coach right now, Kevin Willard. It was his fourth and fifth years, and, and he really had a monumental task to do to rebuild the program. And so for those, my first, as I say, four years or so, we weren't really that good record-wise. I mean, we were definitely building something, and we were bringing some really great students, really great athletes, really great people, but, you know, the record just wasn't there. But you'd be on the West Coast or in Florida, whatever you're traveling, to meet with donors, and it always would say, you know, where are you at? And you'd say, Seton Hall, say, oh, you got a great basketball program. Before Kevin took over, we weren't doing but that. People well remember either. the Final Four. They just, remember the exactly. Right. So basketball, it just carries the brand, and so you know that's good and bad. It's great this What's year. What's bad about it? Well, it's great this year when we're doing so well, and you know we're on national TV all the time. We're ranked top twenty in the country. We're playing in front of fifteen thousand people. It can go the other way too if the brand's not being carried the right way. Obviously. Well, that's so interesting. So let's play this out for a second. By the way, Seton Hall plays at Prudential, at the Prudential Arena. Mary, you would know that because they play hockey there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> How the devil's yeah. doing? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying. I'm that just, is an interesting okay. lesson in leadership we should talk about, though. Being right? petty. I'm sorry. What? No, what? no. But when a team isn't doing well, what do you do? Sometimes you do have to let that person go who is leading that team and try new leadership. So well, yeah, let's put that one on the table. Then we'll come back to the other question about the difference between being AD and being chief of staff to President Nyer and to the university. Mm -hmm. So as a Giant fan, I don't know what's going to happen with that coach. I'm kind of interested in the Jets. I don't know what's going to happen to that coach. How hard is it for you to make really tough decisions about when someone who you really like, I'm going to load this question up for you, make it complicated. You really like this person. He or she's a really decent person, but the team isn't doing well over a period of time. How hard has it been for you to, as Jim Collins says in his book, Good to Great, escort certain people off the bus? I've never felt it was that difficult so long as along the whole way you were having very candid and open and transparent conversations with the people. About and performance. About performance, about you know, expectations, accountability. So I've never actually thought it was really that difficult because you're always in it together and you're a partnership. Whether you're talking about working with the golf coach or working with, you know, at Seton Hall, the basketball program or the Devils with John and the, the ownership there. So I've never thought it was that difficult. I think the difficult part, which people seem to not be able to grasp, is is having those candid conversations. I use the word all the time, especially when I was the athletic director, that we can't have enough candor. Jack Welsh, and whether you like Jack Welsh or hate Jack Welsh, I, I used to read his books all the time, and I was a big believer in how often he would just talk about candor and being candid and let people know exactly where they stand. And, and when you're an AD, especially at Division One level, you do have to make a lot of difficult decisions and a lot of personnel decisions. And that's just the way, you know, if you don't want to do that, don't get into that line of work. But I can probably say of all the decisions I've had to made of those sort of difficult ones, it's never been 
contentious. It's always just been, you know, I know what my opportunity was. I know what the expectations were. I didn't meet them, and I thank you very much. So that's the reaction you get. You know, again, Mary I'm, and I don't always get that reaction. No. <laughs> we do. We're like, <laughs> what are like, you saying? They to start those arguing. People? Who's crying? Who's well? Yeah. Listen, mm -hmm. there, there, there's sometimes where you know an organization might have just restructuring or reorganize. No, you know, I'm talking performance. But if you just, Only performance. That's what I'm talking about. If you're just basing it on performance, then if someone comes into your office, in my opinion, and not to say it's never happened to me, but thankfully not that often, but in my opinion, if someone comes into your office and you're making a decision based on performance and they're shocked, that's on you. Then somehow that's we on, screwed up as that's leaders. That's on the leader. That's interesting. Quote, unquote. It, that's always been my opinion. And it, the hardest thing to do is have a true performance evaluation with someone and really be honest with them and tell them where they stand and have laid out those expectations. And the expectations should have been laid out in the hiring process anyway. You know, we'd like you to come in and we'd like you to, you know, run this golf program. Why do you talk about golf? I just figured it's, it, it, it's, it's not a lightning rod sport like men's basketball okay. or like that, you know. <laughs> I just talk about golf. I um, don't know. You've never seen Steve play golf. I've heard that uh, right. he it takes alone. it very right. seriously. Le I've managed my emotions a lot better. Right. Go ahead. And I played college golf and hockey, so I always use those sports as examples. I just feel like I can use those sports and not be talking about anybody in particular. But when you're making that hire, when you're hiring someone to lead that organization, your golf team, whatever organization it could be, building widgets, you really you owe it upon that person and yourself and your organization to lay it out ahead of time. What are the expectations for what we're trying to do right now? And do you feel you can do what we're asking you to do? You know, do you feel like you have the resources that we're giving you? And especially when I was hiring coaches, I would always say the same thing. I'd lay it all on the table. These are your resources. This is what we can do for you. We will do everything in our power to support you more than this. But this is what I can guarantee you right now. Do you think you'd be successful here? And, you know, of course they'll say, yeah, because they're, they're, they, the they, they want the gig, they want the job. But it also gives you an ability to come back around if things aren't going well. Just listen, we talked about this. We knew what the expectations were. We knew what the resources were. What can we do to try to get this back on track? Mm. And then it goes back to the final piece, which unfortunately, and I haven't had to do this that often, thankfully, is if it's not working out, then knowing when and how to move on is just as important as the hiring. So now with your portfolio as chief of staff with a new president at Seton Hall University, by the way, if you're listening to us, Pat Lyons, chief of staff over at Seton Hall University, he was uh, for 16 years the athletic director, first at Iona College, where I was proud to spend one year there playing club football. And then they said, listen, go back to Jersey, and also at Seton Hall University before that. That being said, your portfolio is larger, different. What are the biggest differences between being athletic director and chief of staff from a leadership perspective? I'm still learning the differences because I'm only about five months in. And so, I, you know, I'm in a role now working alongside our college president and helping him with running the university and with leading the university and, and going through this transformational time right now at the university. We're doing a strategic plan. We had an interim president for three years. And before that, we had our first slave president at Seton Hall. So we, we've right. been going through a lot of these changes recently. And now with Dr. Nyer on board, we're really sort of seeing what we want to be when we grow up now. What's our vision for the future for the long term? So the biggest differences to what I do now and what I did as, an, you know, as an athletic director, everything's relationships. And everything's communicating and everything's, as I said before, laying out the expectations and building your teams all the time, constantly just building and developing and leading your teams. I think the biggest difference to talk more of in the specifics and the weeds is as an athletic director, you really are just leading people a lot. And it's a lot of, I'm trying to say this in a way that I don't offend either the athletic world or kind of the <laughs> world I'm in right now. Let's put it this way. In the world I'm in right now, I find myself in a lot more meetings on sort of this academic sort of operational side of a university Whereas when you're in athletics, you don't find yourself. If you're looking um, at and, us and right being... now, um, this is, Angie, you see that? Perfect timing. I survived another meeting that should have been an email. And by the way, I was told the other uh, little, Brian, you told me I couldn't bring it out here. I, I actually censored it. I took it away. Our daughter, Olivia, in Montclair, yeah. we were going to one of the novelty stores and she picked it up. Is that this meeting is 
BS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I didn't say you said. Well, I'm not, and I, and I definitely didn't say that. I want to uh, make sure everybody understands. I definitely no, didn't say that. I, the Steve meetings Adubato are great. Said that. They're yeah. wonderful, but it's different. It's different. It's much different. And plus, again, when you run an athletic department, and at Seton Hall we had 14 sports, at Iona we had, let's say, 23, 24. You basically have 14 or 23, 24 CEOs. And no one is going to push wow. those coaches harder than they're going to push themselves. And if anything, a lot of times with the coaches, you almost had to throttle them back and be like, listen, you, you go see your family. Go take some time out. Not to say it's not the same on the academic side, not academic, but on the operational side of the university, the administrative side. My new boss, Dr. Nair, asked me the other day, he goes, well, what's been the biggest difference? I'm like, it's just a different rhythm. Is and, it and slower? I, I don't want to say it's slower. It's just different. And I'm still trying to grasp what that difference is. And again, going back to the meetings thing, I'm not saying that the meetings you're in aren't needed or, or necessary. It's just... There's a lot of moving parts at Seton Hall. And in the athletic department, you had, again, 14 programs, about 100 employees, and men's basketball was the flagship program. Things move quickly. Yeah, and Seton Hall University with 10,000 students and over 2,000 employees and a law school and a med school and three campuses. There's a lot of moving pieces there. So, again, as much as people always say, why do we have to have have a new meeting? And I'm in meetings all the time. Sometimes they are necessary. So we're still trying to figure that out. I got it. This is a wonderful chapter in my book. Which I know you read cover to cover. Twice. Lessons in Leadership. Yeah. <laughs> What's the chapter called? Oh, no, not another meeting. And the reason I say that, and I will tell you where this came from, it did not come from Seton Hall. It came from my alma mater at Rutgers, where I did my graduate and doctoral work. I used to be on the faculty at Rutgers. I used to be in faculty meetings, and I thought, is this ever going? It's not just Rutgers. Is this ever going to end? And what exactly is the goal of this meeting? How do we know when we've accomplished what we've accomplished, where is the accountability? And it's, again, not about Rutgers, it's just that. I found many of those meetings to be ponderous and I thought, let's get stuff done. And I'm not saying it's you, I'll speak for myself and that's where that chapter came from. That being said, new president. New president. New chief of staff. How much of there is a quote unquote sense of urgency, Pat Lyons? I think our new president, Dr. Naira, there's definitely a sense of urgency. Um, Probably tell folks about Dr. Naira. So Dr. Naira, he's an academic person by trade. He was a clinical psychologist. He studied at Baylor, Kansas, Harvard. He ran a, a large nonprofit in Chicago for many years and then actually became the president of Iona in a weird kind of coincidence. Did you know him then? I did not. He started at Iona about four months after I had left. Interesting. So, so I leave to come to Seton Hall. He starts about four months later. Coach Willard have an Iona connection? I hired Coach Will. It had to be 14, 15 Get years out. ago. Yeah, Iona. it's true. Yeah, yeah. And again, a weird coincidence, our women's basketball coach coached at Iona. Now, in fairness, he did go to Seton Hall and met his wife at Seton Hall. <laughs> our women's basketball coach. You know who else went to Iona? Like, okay, Larry Downs, one of our good friends yes. at New Jersey Resources. Okay. Okay, retired great, great CEO. person. And also, we do coaching at Gibbons. Pat Dunnikin. Right. Iona. Wow. I'm just saying. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Some so a, a they lot graduated. Of, I did yeah, not. A lot of quits. So he, Dr. Naira had been at Iona for about eight and a half years as the president, and then obviously he's the president here now. So there's always a sense of urgency when you're new in something because you always just want to get a ton of things accomplished as yep. much as you can because just, that's just what we do. I'm not saying we, me and Dr. Naira. I'm just saying people in leadership positions always feel a need to. What's your role when he's pushing hard? I think my role, especially in these first five months, is to sort of give him sort of a lay of the land of the university because I've been there now for nine years. I think that's probably been the, the most important thing. When he decided to take the job, he had called me up and he said, okay, what, what do I need to know about being the president of Seton Hall? I said, well, I'm going to tell you <laughs> my feeling. You have the George Washington Bridge. Yes. And you have Iona, which is about 10 miles to the east, and you have Seton Hall, which is about 10 miles to the west. I said, they might as well be on different continents. Really? And that's just, it has neither... Better, neither I'm just worse. It's not it's a qualitative just, thing. It's just a different culture. It's just different. And that's just between Westchester County and Jersey and between Iona and Seton Hall. The universities are different. 
So student I think body's different. Culture body, matters. Everything's different. You know, we have, as I said, 10,000 students. Iona had 3,000 students. That's right. So I think that's really my role, sort of be able to educate as best as I can on the university and where we can go and where we should stay away from and things like that. And just to make sure that the, his this transition and is pretty much over. It was over in the first month, but let's say the first year. <laughs> is just no honeymoon? Made, Wait, one second. Yeah, I don't think there's a honey, no, honeymoon. No. Honeymoons are over. Are they shorter than ever, Pat? I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> So I think that's my role anyways, to help him get through this period me, and to help him set up set the future for the university. Let me try this. Uh, one of the books here that we have is Emotional Intelligence, Daniel Goleman. I've mentioned this before. And Goleman talks an awful lot about being self-aware, <laughs> other than people being delusional about themselves. And now they're seen by others. And so, I, I have a thought on that, too. Go ahead. So what I was going to say, so you talk about, you know, self-awareness. And one of the things I'm always, again, especially in athletics, because you have all these, you know, just the way athletic departments are, you're hiring people that are coming out of college and they're working 80 hours a week and they get, you know, get days off for months and months and months. Anytime you're, you're interacting with sort of the, the newer staff, my position was you always take every moment to develop and mentor and, and things like that. And one of the things I always tell people is make sure you know your brand, have brand awareness of what you are. Going to, going to what your point is. What do you, what, what define Meaning, that? you know, if I say, what would people say about you? And Or they'd say, I'm hardworking. And they'd say, you know, I'll do anything. And it's not. And it's like, okay, well, you come in at 10 o'clock every day. You leave at 4. And people say you're the least team player here. So it's just kind of <laughs> your point sparked in my head to make sure I'm saying It's you true. Know, you have to have brand awareness. You have to know really what your brand is. Mary, look at that book right there. What's it called? You're that the other, brand. That book with the other airbrush picture. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reason, in all seriousness, Pat. Have we plugged every book of his yet? Uh, no, we can do all of them. We've okay, got, we'll get to um, we, we got, We've got, we got lessons minutes, in leadership. So time. Those are the only two I brought, actually. Make the connection, speak you. from the heart, and, and what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Are back at the office. That's this, a great book. Did, 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 now, listen, now, now we're getting into novels. This book is ahead. fantastic. I'm, I'm top is, five of all time leadership books. Yeah, one, two for me. So what Pat is holding up is Who Moved My Cheese. And, and I have up. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. These are my top two favorites. Hold on, Mary. I have the hard copy version of it. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. So well, those who are Who Moved My Cheese, Dr. Spencer Johnson, all about change. Go ahead. Right. So I, I've used this example a lot. And I, I won't talk about whether it's an I own or Seton Hall because I just... It doesn't matter. Talking general, it doesn't matter. But I would always use the example, especially when I was taking over an organization for the first year or two, is that I would literally insist on people reading this because change is just the most difficult thing in any organization and for people. People hate change or resist change. So, you know, if, if I'm sitting here every day and I have a water about a foot in front of me and if you move the water to my left side, it's like, well, I can't take water now. How am I going to drink water? It's always been there. Why is it moving? It's over there. It? I, I, it's it's got to be here. Who moved my bottle me. of water? Exactly. Who, so, by the way, did you, did you, that's why when I saw this, I, I, I had to make... Mm-hmm. By the way, did, I, mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know the premise. I'm not going to do the quick version, right? So, so who moved my cheese? Mm-hmm. It's simple. Pat will correct me if I'm wrong. By the way, the reason I like the book is it's really fat print, few pages. Yeah, so, it's very good. So there are four mice, and they're in a maze. Right. And the cheese is always in the same place every day. Right. And so two mice, they go every day to that place. Cheese is there. And the other two mice are sitting there talking, going, hey, what about if they move the cheese? And the two other one goes, what are you talking about? They're not going to move the cheese. And they go, yeah, but what if they move the cheese? No, we're good. We're going to go every day. And sure enough, one day, what happens? They find it, the ones who decided to move. Mm-hmm. They're strategic. The other they're ones, nimble. The other ones died. Yeah. The other ones are sitting there going, where's the cheese? The other two mice are looking for the mice who found the cheese, and they're like, who moved the cheese? And cheese is a metaphor for anything. For anything. And change is just so hard for any organization, and, and especially for people. It's just, 
you know, and, and if you're not changing and not adapting, you're, you're basically going backwards. How about in sports analogy? I always love this when people say, I'm not a huge fan of the New England Patriots, but I do respect. I'm from Providence. I'll just put that out there. Okay, just put it out there. All I'm saying is this. One of the reasons I respect Bill Belichick, take ethics out of it for a second. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. Right, right. One of the things I really liked about them, I respect about them, is that they never... The status quo has never an option, meaning you won the Super Bowl. We're good. We're going to stay right there. We, what's happened? Well, the rest of the league is changing. So-and-so's got a new quarterback. The game changes around you. Status quo, never an option, Pat Lyons? So I got, and I'll use another example. I, I love seeing examples of things like this. So I forgot who I was with. I think it actually might have been when I was, when I was interviewing Kevin Willard when I was the AD at Iona. And we had just gone to To dinner, be basketball coach. To be the basketball coach. You're talking 14, 13, 14 years ago. And we went to dinner with the president of Iona because I knew Kevin was going to be the guy I wanted to hire. So we went to dinner with the president, and it was like 8 o'clock at night. And so I think I said, you know, do you want to go to Starbucks and grab a coffee? So we went to Starbucks. Went to a bar. I so, know. Okay. I'm like, really? 8 o'clock like, at Starbucks? I was trying to look, okay. Sorry. I'm so gullible. I just, By the way, at AM 970, it's a family station. It's a right. Family so they station. went to Starbucks. Yes. Go ahead. And as I was making the most of it, drinking a beer, and I just remember my cameras it. anyway. That's okay. So I, we, go, we go to this, a bar across the street from the restaurant. My president had, had blessed it. Is this on North Avenue? Good, it's, it was on oh, North was Avenue, actually. It was on North Avenue. Spent too much time there. I'm sorry. So my point about the status quo, Florida was, had just won the national championship in, in the NCAA title. So Florida, literally, Billy Donovan. Yep, University I, I of Florida. Believe it was Billy, I, I believe it was Florida, Billy Donovan. And so I remember the game had just ended, and somehow we had found out through mutual connections, whatever. Someone's like, oh, I wonder what the head coach is doing. He must be celebrating. He must be doing this, doing that. He literally, the coach, as soon as they won, celebrated with the team, went somewhere in the arena and started calling recruits. Calling kids who had nothing to do with that current team. Now, obviously, they had already thanked his yes. team, and, and they had their moment together. But your point about the status quo, that coach instantly started thinking about, how can I build upon this? Right? I'm just not going to be happy that we just won a national championship. And I forget how they got back to us that that's what the coach was doing, but it was just a perfect example of they just reached the pinnacle mm -hmm. of where they wanted to be, yep. and this coach instantly was focused on the future. Pat Lyons at Seton Hall University just nailed something that Mary and I talk about constantly. By the way, this is Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. This is Pat Lyons. By the way. By the, no, no, we, we're not. We don't stop. We don't really plug it. It's, it. <laughs> he doesn't plug it at all. Never. <laughs> Stop. Sorry. So that being said, I want to just touch on this before we let Paco. We had just finished a major production on our team. And so everyone is celebrating. We, when we tape our shows, you know, at the folks at East Main Media, they're with us. We tape a ton of shows in one day, right? And it was great. And I say to our team, listen, put a one-pager together about all the really terrific things that happened today. By the way, add the things that could have and should have been better. I'm sorry, we're not just going to congratulate ourselves. So the point of this is, it was a great day. And then Mary and I talked that night, and I said, Mary, let's talk to so-and-so about this the next day. And I know I talked about this on a different show, but it just goes to Pat's point. Sure. That coach did that, right? Mm -hmm. Mary and I wanted to make sure we talked to that person. And as we were talking to that person about what really went well and raised a couple of issues about what could have been better, the person kept talking about, I'm sorry, so you're going to throw away all of the good things we did? Do you have any idea how hard we work? It was a great day, and now you're going to ruin it? And Mary and I looked at each mm -hmm. other like, we're just trying to give feedback. Go yeah. ahead. Just trying to make it better. Yep. Status quo is never an option, even when you win the championship. Well, it's an option, but you just won't be doing that for too long. Especially me, in our world of it's sports. Not a, it's not a great option. It's not a long-term option, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> how about people who say, come on, good to great, right? 
You ever notice the book is not called, hey, we're good enough? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, we won the championship. What do we do next? Uh, before we let you go, sure. okay, loaded question, double two sides to this. Number one, what's your greatest leadership quality? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to think people would say that I generally care about them. I care about the people and I care about their development, where they want to go. I say every single interview I've ever had, I say the same thing. What do you want to be when you grow up? If I'm hiring an assistant coach to be a head coach, if I'm hiring an assistant AD to be an associate AD, what's the final outcome that you want in your career? And then let's backtrack from there on how we can get you there. And so that's I just give that one example. But I, I would hope that people would say that it's someone that would that truly cared about the organization and the people. I think leadership is all about the people, hands down. You know, communication, accountability, all that stuff. But it's all about the people. And I, I'd like to think I could tell you of anybody within my organizations, not now because I'm in a whole different world and I'm still learning. Chief I'm still learning my world. But it certainly is in the last 16, 17 years being an athletic director, I could probably tell you certainly everybody's name that's worked in my in our organization not mine it's never right. mine our organization and i could probably tell you their wife's name their husband's name their kids names dogs names so i'd like to think it's people just felt like i really cared about them as, as people flip side we talked about being self-aware right the area that i don't call it a weakness right mm -mm. My, our clients get weirded out by that they said you ask me about my weakness as no. i said i said no what's the num number one area where you feel you need to improve is probably i'm being a chief of staff <laughs> 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 so I've only been doing it for about five months. Come uh, on, I'm talking about a trait. I'm not talking about a I job. Know, I know. But, but that's trait. truly what it, what I would say, though. If, if there's a, not a weakness, but certainly with some room for growth, is just I I really you know like we all need to continue to learn and 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 get better. Right. I do need to continually just keep learning this other side of the, of a business that I've been in now for my whole career. Um, but a trait itself. Um, Are you patient? Yeah, I think I actually think I am. I don't I don't think I'm any any more or less patient than probably other leaders. I mean, we all want things happening yesterday. Um, you, you know, you in, when you're in athletics, that's, that's another big difference between that sports and sort of the role I'm in now is, is the outside influences or influencers don't have as much of an effect as they do in what I'm doing now as opposed to in sports. Mm. You know, it, it, when you're an athletic director now, literally everybody is a reporter, a journalist, a blogger, everybody. I can set up a Twitter handle right now, and all of a sudden, I'm a journalist. You got it. Um, and so you really, you, you do have to worry about the, all those outside influences and influencers, as I said, in sports. Whereas at least on the side I'm in now, it's 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 not that it's not as bad, or not just as bad as as, as that dramatic. I mean, we certainly have it there, but not as not as going back to the patient thing. But you've been listening to uh, Pat Lyons. You know I'm on AM 970 because AM 970. I actually see no basketball. Right. On AM 970. Our, our good friend, by the way, Jerry Crowley and the folks in AM 970 are great partners. We never forget them. There's been Pat Lyons, who's the chief of staff at Seton Hall University, former AD there. Um, best of luck to you and your friends and colleagues there, particularly President Nyer. Yes. Okay. And uh, to disclose, Seton Hall is a great partner of ours. We are big fans, and I'll be looking forward to teaching at the Bucino Leadership Institute in the spring of 2020. This has been Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve. That's Mary. That's Pat. We'll be right back after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by New Jersey Resources and Prager Metis, your world worth more. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato here with my colleague, uh, Mary Gamba. Uh, Pat Lyons goes from being one of the most successful athletic directors in the nation at two universities, at two schools, um, and then becomes the chief of staff at Seton Hall. Yeah. 
Yeah. Use the word reinventing, but evolving, different jobs, evolving. challenges, right? Yeah, being open-minded, leading in one capacity, leading in another capacity, and then having to adapt to the various personalities that you're dealing with. Also, on top of that, having a new president coming in and then helping that person to then evolve. So it's really, it was a great conversation. But you know what else I realized I didn't ask um, this question of Pat, and it was on my mind. Pat was such a successful athletic director. And when you go to Seton Hall basketball games, again, Seton Hall basketball only one sport at the university. But he works the games. He's shaking hands with, with people. He's a big part of it. And I know that he helped develop the person who is the athletic director there now. I wonder how much dif how difficult it is to truly walk away from being whatever it's athletic director or whatever job it is into another job and not want to put your hand back in. I know it's got to be really hard. Um, I really enjoyed when he was talking about how he, one of his greatest leadership strengths was being able to remember people's names in the name of their wife or their partner or their dog or their kids. And that's something that I want to improve upon myself as a leader. I often forget someone's name. I'll never forget a face. I often will forget someone's name. And really genuinely caring about other people, that was a really big takeaway as well. So to go back to what you asked, I think, you know, for Pat, not just before him, but I will, I think him moving into that new position and being able to look over at whoever took over for him in that AD, I think he's going to be proud and say, you want to know what, you take the reins and he'll move into the new position and do it well. But just remember that the athletic director does, in fact, report to the chief of staff and the president. It's interesting, mm -hmm. right? It is, yeah. Okay, so two minutes left. Try this one. Leadership in academia, and again, we're not talking about any particular university. I'm, I'm because I've had experience in a few different colleges and universities teaching, and I've been in faculty meetings, particularly when I was. I know you find this hard to believe that I was actually a quote full-time faculty member. I know. At Rutgers, I don't know I how you fit it all in. Well, this was back in the day, mm -hmm. and um, we hadn't really gotten into. We were dabbling in media at the time, but we didn't have what we have right now. And I remember. And that's really, that is where that chapter in Lessons in Leadership came from, oh no, not another meeting. Because I remember saying to myself, oh no, not another meeting. And I used to think to myself, and I still do this sometimes, why? Right. Like what, and I know we've talked about meetings before, but do you think the people who are in a ponderous, never ending, where are we going with this? God, you're stealing my time meeting, know that they're in that meeting, particularly that person who called the meeting. I don't think so. I think that we talk about blind spots. I think that's a blind spot for a lot of leaders. Uh, we talk about activity over impact. I think that a lot of these meetings are, oh, we have our every week on a Tuesday, 9 a.m. meeting. And in certain cases, sure, maybe you do need to check off the box and double check and just it's a great touch point. But it could have been done with an email, possibly. It could have been done just with two people rather than pulling in the entire team into that meeting who really don't have anything to do with whatever it is that the meeting is talking about. So to answer the question, no, I don't think that a lot of times these leaders know that it is, um, you know, really missing the mark. By the way, I'm bad at time management, which is why I was catching. That's okay. It's all <laughs> I was looking at the camera. <laughs> Excuse me, I was looking at the clock. A few seconds left. Uh, Mary, let's, let's thank our funders again because you cannot say thank you enough we to them. We cannot say thank you enough to them. And uh, most importantly, to New Jersey Resources and to Prager Metis. A great accounting firm. Absolutely. Um, and also to our friends at the International Union of Operating Engineers, Greg local Lallaby, 825, right? Greg Lollavy, RWJ Barnabas Health. We have Gibbons Law Firm. 
Valley Bank, or just Valley. Valley, Talking don't about get rebranding, wrong. I know. Um, Hackensack, Meridian Health. And then we also have MD Advantage and St. Joseph's Health. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of these folks are the f folks we work with on leadership development, mm -hmm. communication, coaching, and, and it's been a great honor and pleasure to, to work with them. Uh, and so, Mary, I want to thank you for another edition of Lessons in Leadership. Let's talk about change and evolving. We've been an organization around a long time, and Mary and I came up with this idea about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know when it was. Went to Brian and his team at East May Media, and that's why we're here right now, because they helped make it happen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, team. Catch you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Can't say thank you enough. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by New Jersey Resources and Prager Metis, your world worth more. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Hackensack Meridian Health, the New Jersey Education Association, Berkeley College, education prepares us to reach our dreams, be inspired. New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. The law firm of Gibbons PC. NJM Insurance Group. New Jersey Resources. Delta Dental of New Jersey. Everyone deserves a healthy smile. And by ADP, a comprehensive provider of human resources technology and services. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media. And by Jaffe Communications, supporting our state's innovators and changemakers with public relations, creative services, and more. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. It is our honor to be joined by the Honorable Christine Todd Whitman, who is the 50th Good. governor of the great state of New Jersey. Good to see you, Governor. Good to see you again, Steve. Oh, so many things to talk about. Can we start nationally? <laughs> sure. How dangerous, in your view, because you've said it publicly, you've tweeted it, mm -hmm. you've written about it, you've been on the air talking about it, how dangerous, in your view, not just as a Republican, but as an American, is President Trump's presidency to date? I think extremely, extremely dangerous. What he's doing is marshalling people's fears, focusing their hate on one or two groups, and then undermining people's confidence in the news media, in the courts, anybody who opposes him in any way, shape, or form, even if it's based totally on the rule of law, he'll say, well, they're wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. And people are believing that. And it's going to take a long time How to come back from How many people are believing it? Enough to keep a lot of Republicans scared of opposing him, because they're afraid that in their primaries, these are the people that are going to come out and vote, because, in fact, those in the center have done a lousy job of upholding that part of our responsibility. You know, it's, it's, sorry for interrupting, Governor. If you're listening on the audio side podcast, this is uh, Governor Christine Todd Whitman, the 50th governor of the state of New Jersey. She had national titles as well, served in the Bush administration as the head of the EPA. Let me ask you this. Um, one of the things about you that's always struck me is your um, civility, your sense in the spirit of uh, the late Millicent Fenwick, <laughs> who would disagree right. but never do it disagreeably. When you tweeted that, quote, Hitler has nothing on Trump and then took that quote down, but then never took, never said, I want to change the spirit of that tweet, I'm confused. No, I put it up to be a shock value, 
to get people's attention. And then I took it down so we could engage in the further conversation. Why would I say something like that? Yeah, why? Look at, look at what's happening. Look at the way, if you do some comparisons between the 1920s and 30s and the rhetoric then and the rhetoric we're hearing now, again, this idea of it's a certain group that's doing it all to you. You'll be all fine if we'd never have any Mexicans. Um, it's really the Muslim. Mus any Muslim is, is terrible. Or it's the bad. deep state. Or, yeah, exactly, the deep state. He's undermining confidence and everything. And he has said, don't believe what you see, don't believe what you hear, believe me. And that's the kind of thing that was going on back then, whether you take Hitler or Franco or Mussolini. I mean, it's a dictator. It's what he wants to be, I believe. He's already said if he wins a second term, he doesn't want to go away. It means that people want him and he's going to stay. So he has no respect for the Constitution no respect for the rule of law, no respect for the media, no respect for the courts. And that is really dangerous. When the public loses their confidence in the rule of law, we're in a very bad place. Governor, what kind of reaction have you gotten from most Republicans? You've been a lawyer Republican your whole life. Right. Your father, a Republican leader mm -hmm. in the state and, and nationally, we should let people know. How have most Republicans reacted to your very public, very negative comments about the president, the leader of the Republican Party nationally. Right. Oh, well, you know, there's some that take huge offense and say all the things you expect the, the real loyalists to take. But I've been actually amazed by, not amazed by, but it, it, it reaffirms something I believe, that the majority of people, that a great, or a great number of people, are just as upset as I am, but they don't feel they can say things. And I've Why? had those kinds of people Why can't say, they say things. It? because they fear for their position, and that has become more important. I mean, you look at this Im impeachment proceeding that we're going after, we're engaged in now. That's the most important vote that they'll ever take. This impeachment vote. This impeachment we're, we're, I'm vote. I'm sorry, sorry for interrupting, Governor. We're taping on the 12th of November. Many things will happen before this is seen. We'll see. Why is this vote so important? Because this is the very essence of, it's the most major tool that our founding fathers gave us in the Constitution because they foresaw a time when you might have someone who wasn't going to lead a, live up to the ideals of the Constitution, and they provided this outlet. And, but for anybody to take it, you have got to step back and try. It's very hard to have an open mind, but you've got to listen to what's being said and balance. I mean, you have the president saying it was a perfect telephone call. The perfect telephone call to the president to the, of Ukraine? Yes, to Zelensky. Um, and that's a whole other story. It's interesting putting word, in. perfect. Yes. I mean, nobody's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Not perfect telephone but it was perfect. call. But it was perfect. And, well, hyperbole is, is Just a little great bit. Uh, in this administration. It's constant from the president. But the part of it is that when you, um, when you see this kind of thing, you also have all these very respectable former military officers, uh, career civil servants. I, I met with the ambassador when I was in Ukraine. I was in Ukraine the ambassador for these. ambassador in Ukraine who uh, left the, her job. No, oh. the, Miller. The oh, Miller. Current, okay. The current acting ambassador. And He's acting give ambassador. us a sense of character there. <laughs> Absolutely straight shooter. I mean, somebody who's dedicated to the country. He's been in Ukraine before as the ambassador. He knows that country very well. He knows that there was terrible corruption before, but Zelensky was elected on going after that. He has taken steps. I mean, he's required that every member of his cabinet show their entire finances this on the internet. This is in Ukraine. I'm curious about this. For those who argue in the Republican Party that this is just the Democrats. By the way, we don't know how things are going to play out. Right. This is a bigger picture discussion, regardless of what happens in the House. Ultimately, the Senate will vote 
there'll be a trial, if you will, if things move forward in that direction. To the Democrats who say, you know, this is nothing more than, excuse me, for the, the Republicans, Republicans who say this is the Democrats who were just upset about 2016. They were convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Mm -hmm. She didn't win, and now they're trying to negate the will of the people, you say? Oh, I say, first of all, he's a minority president. We don't know that. But, but he won the president he, he won legitimately the president. through the Electoral president. College. I think that is a mistake that the Democrats made from the get-go to say we're going to get him out right away. Stand back. Let him be president. I mean, first of all, I don't know how you felt about his inaugural speech. That was the most depressing speech I think I have ever heard on a presidential inaugural. The, the world was coming to an end. There were riots on all our streets. People were being shot every other day. I mean, it was Why do you think he talks really like awful. that? Because that goes to the heart of what the people who are scared, who don't feel they're making progress, who don't feel that they're getting what they're working for, they want to hear someone tell them it's, this is why it is. And he spoke, he's speaking up for them. But, Governor, to, to some of my friends, and you have friends as well, who will say, you know what, I may not like the way Trump speaks. I don't particularly love his demeanor. I wouldn't speak like that, they'll often say. But, you know, as we speak, Economy's going well. Stock market's going strong. My family's better. Then he talks about the black unemployment rate. The president does. Mm -hmm. It's lower than ever. The Hispanic unemployment rate, lower than ever. It's about the economy. Forget these other things. It's not about what he says. It's what he does, you say? Well, I say, yes, the economy is good in some parts, not as good for others. I've talked to a number of people that are not getting much better, and they're working two jobs or three jobs to stay in the same place. Ask the farmers in the Midwest about the trade embargoes with China. Um, now we're putting more money in, but we're taking money from another pot and putting it in their pot to try to make them whole so that they will be supportive of the president, continue to be supportive. Nobody is done everything wrong. The economy did start coming back under Obama. The employment rates, the unemployment mm. rate was going down even under Obama. So that was cyclical. But, you know, you take credit. If you're sitting there when it happens, you take the credit for it. Everybody does that. And I, I get that. But uh, where's the infrastructure money? We were supposed to be spending billions on infrastructure. What about Gateway? None of that's happened. What about the Gateway Tunnel? Well, it's not, not nobody's put a shovel in the ground yet. And the federal government's I mean, not on board? No. I mean, it's not happening. There, there are so many good things that could be doing. He could have had the shovel in the ground for, I'm, and I confess right up front, I'm on the board of the advisory board for the superconductive magnetic levitation train, which is... You don't have to confess. You just disclose. That's I, fine. Okay. I'm disclosing <laughs> We it. disclose on public television. Go ahead. Fully, fully disclosed. <laughs> um, and that's a train that the Japanese are willing to give us the technology. They're willing to help us with the funding. It would get us from Washington to New York in less than an hour. And it, we could have had shovels in the ground a year ago. And what has stood in the way? The White House and the administration, moving things very slowly. And Elon Musk, they love, um, he has something called the Hyperloop, where you mm. drive your Tesla into it and you get whooshed down. Nobody's ever ridden it. No one's ever, it has never carried passengers, whereas the, the superconductive maglev has been running in Japan mm. now for years. Can we bring it back to New Jersey a little bit? Sure. We're speaking to Christine Todd Whitman, who was the 50th governor of the great state of New Jersey. Um, only woman to be the governor of this I know, state. unfortunately. Right? Yeah. Are you surprised at that? Yeah, I am. I mean, I would have thought we'd gotten over that a long time ago. I was hoping Kim would make it. Kim Godano. Yeah, Kim Godano. <sighs> Question. The public employee pension crisis mm -hmm. in the state has been going on for a long time. You'll have people come in here and say, you know, this has been going on for years. The state of New Jersey did not invest what they should have invested, did not keep their commitment to the public employee pension fund, which is why is in crisis now. And that mm -hmm. includes, they'll be critical of Chris Christie on this, even though he did with the Democrats through uh, Senate President Steve Sweeney and others, they did make an increased contribution. 
They'll blame you. Mm -hmm. They'll blame Jim McGreevy. Sure. They'll blame a whole range of governors for the past 20, 25 years that you didn't put the money in from the state end. What was it like at the time? Well, when, we, when we gave the uh, municipalities the holiday from put, paying into the pension fund, it was because both of those funds were 112 and 114 percent funded, and we also had a time to uh, take advantage of the stock market. We, it was basically like re, redoing a mortgage and saved about $62 billion over the life of that of those bonds. But what we'd said was you were always going to have to start paying in again. When I left... Into the pension funds. Into the pension funds. When I left, the two big pension funds were 105 and 108 percent funded. They were fully funded. But it was clear that the time was coming. And we had said you had to look at a three-year horizon of, of how the market was performing, not just mm. base it on the highest year. Unfortunately, that the formula got changed several times um, and without considering what the impact was going to be on the uh, pension fund itself, and then you added some 50,000 state employees. Were the mistakes made? And this is what and happens when you start talking about the pension. It's hard to get not into the weeds. That's not a criticism. It's just the way it is. Right. Do you feel, in retrospect, you could have and should have done more to have more state dollars going to that pension fund? No, I think we were. I was saying that the people at the time, the taxpayers, didn't have to keep funding something that was that much overfunded. There would come a time okay. when they needed to pay back into that again. But we were going to give the municipalities time to plan for that. We talked about nationally the Republican Party. You made it very clear where you think certain legislators are. We've got a minute left, uh, certain members of Congress and others. Is the Republican Party in New Jersey close to dead? Well, they did better in this in the last election okay. than they expected to do. So, no, I can't, you can't say that it's dead. How would you rate Phil Murphy as a governor? I think he's got to learn how to get along a little bit better with the Democrats. Um, but he, me, me, he seems oh, wait to a minute, be, he is a Democrat. Well, the Democrat leadership, shall we say. <laughs> I'm not sure they can ever repair the damage totally, but he seems to be doing more now um, as far as working with Steve Sweeney. Uh, it's interesting you say that in a few time, seconds we have left. How much of government, from your point of view, is people getting along with other people in high-level positions as opposed to simply policy differences? That's a lot of that. It's a lot. You have to have the trust. You have to have the trust, the ability to talk to one another, the ability to work things out. That's what you do in government. It's, mm. it's all about, not that dirty word, compromise. It's all about reaching consensus. Governor Christine Todd Whitman, always um, not just speaking your mind, but speaking in a civil, respectful way. That, that was the whole point of why we got into public broadcasting and why <laughs> public broadcasting exists in the first place. Right. You honor us, Governor. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us. My pleasure. Us. Good to be it. here. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. You know, recently I was joined by professor, author, philosopher and activist, Dr. Cornell West, on location at the New Jersey Education Association Convention in Atlantic City. We discussed race relations in America, as well as the importance of civil discourse. We also, or he, compared President Obama and President Trump's leadership style. Let's take a look at this compelling conversation with Dr. Cornell West. Steve Adubato at the NJA Convention, we are speaking to Dr. Cornell West, and we're going we're gonna to date ourselves because <coughs> this interview will air after. We don't know what's going to happen. There's an, a, an impeachment inquiry going on. There'll oh. be a vote, and it seems to me. We'll date ourselves. But let me ask you this. 
what does in fact draw you, and we don't know where Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or anyone else is going to be, what draws you to, dare I say, a Bernie Sanders? Oh, I mean, the thing about Brother Bernie is, is that he has a longevity of integrity, that he's a thermostat, he's not a thermometer. You know, most politicians are thermometers. They want to check and see what the polls are before they really utter their convictions. Mm. Whereas a thermostat shapes the climate of opinion, it doesn't just reflect it. He's been a thermostat for 40 years. So that he says what he means, he means what he says. Most politicians don't do that. Is he too, let me ask you this, is he, quote, too far left to be elected president of the United States, in your view? I think that if we follow the polls and see what people are actually yearning for, which is security from domination, a wonderful phrase by Brother Jeff Stout again, uh, security from domination, which is not just a matter of policy. Mm. They want to live a life of decency and dignity, and they want to get some distance from the insecurity, economic, political, and so forth. Now, I've got disagreements with Brother Bernie. I mean, you know, we, we, we debate all the Reasonable time. Reasonable people disagree. Absolutely. See, I'm a jazz man. Jazz man, I don't <laughs> want unan unanimity. You know, that bores you. Yeah, and you know, I come from a black people. Our anthem is lift every voice. It's not lift every echo. I don't want people just part of an echo Different chamber. We, you got your voice. Your voice is like your fingerprint. Mm. My voice like my fingerprint. Unique. We're unique, singular. We raise them. We bouncing off against one another. But for Bernie, it's a question of integrity. It's hard to find politicians these days. Okay, so I'm going to bring up another name. Who with integrity. I'm sorry for interrupting. We're yes, no, no, Dr. Cornell West. Uh -huh. um, I'm going to ask you this because um, you have along with some others, but you've been a leader, not just in the African-American community, but in this country, talking about President Obama. Absolutely. His tenure and his legacy. Absolutely. Which, in your case, talking about him, has not always been pleasant and positive. That's right. What is the problem, in your view, with the Obama presidency, and what are the ramifications of it? Loaded question, and what the heck does it have Anything to do with Donald Trump being president now? I know it's just, well, I broke the, the rule. I asked three questions at once. Yeah, go but, ahead. But that third question about the backlash, there is an element you of real backlash. That. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. We're talking about a slice of our fellow citizens, not, not vast majority, but a slice of our fellow citizens. Enough. Enough to make a difference. That's right. Absolutely. In key states, but go ahead. In key states, too. But no, you see, my dear brother Barack Obama, he and I started very closely together. I supported him in 2008, supported him in 2012, actually. In Chicago. 65 events in 2008, no, all around the country. We started in Iowa and ended up in Ohio the what night happened? before. Well, what happened was I, I told him from the very beginning I was going to be a critical supporter. You see, because, you see, my calling in my lane is to try to tell the truth and be free. A politician's lane is not to tell the truth and be free, it's to get elected. Mm. So when we first met, I told him, I said, what is your relation to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and Ella Baker, right? That has to do with poverty, it has to do with mass incarceration, it has to do with foreign policy and not dropping bombs on innocent people and mm. so forth. So when he brought in the Wall Street folk and bailed out Wall Street rather than homeowners... In 2008? 2008. Nine. When he had the meeting in March of 2009 with the, with the, with the, the CEOs from Wall Street and said, I stand between you and the pitchforks, but I support you, I will protect you, and not one Wall Street criminal went to jail, and yet mass incarceration is still expanding on the ground with poor and working people of all colors, disproportionately chocolate, 
And when they continued to drop those drones in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Libya and Somalia, and they knew they were also killing innocent people. You see, just as a Christian Did and you, as a person, I had to go at him and say, look, that is you wrong. You told him, sorry brother. for dropping, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. West, you told him directly what you thought. Yes, I did. Was he, you said before, listening is important. Being open to other points of view, that's important, particularly for a leader. As a student of leadership, I'm fascinated by the role of listening to others. Yes. Was President Obama listening to you? I think initially he was, but he got disproportionately influenced by the Wall Street people, the Tim Geithners and Larry Summers, who were so tied to Wall Street at that time, and Brenner, who was tied to the counter-terrorist policies of drones and what have you, and trashing the whistleblowers when it came to surveillance. Manny, Snowden, and so forth. So I had to be true to my own calling, which is to tell the truth, no matter what color the president is. And him is. being black, you don't even sit there and go, at no point do you say, you know what, our first African-American president, incredibly historical significance, let me back off a little bit. You don't think to yourself well, a second? Well, no, I, what I did was I always salute his unprecedented symbolic significance as the first black president. That's an indictment of white supremacist ideology and practice. Mm. I always give him credit. I love his brilliance. I love his poise. We miss that now with Trump, no doubt about that. But when it comes to Wall Street allowing the unaccountability, back to our issue again, when it comes to drones, when it comes to surveillance, and it took him too long for me to talk about the new Jim Crow. It took him seven years before he had any moves against the mass incarceration system. Whereas when it comes to our poor and working people, you got to hit that head on, just like you got to hit the school. Do you think he ducked it? Let me ask you this. And he then ducked it for political reasons. Do you think, okay, let Strategic, me, let me. Strategy, strategy. So you think if he did that too early on, you think he thought, listen, we're doing a lot of, you know, uh, trying to figure out what's up, that if he had done that, that there are too many white Americans who said, wait a minute, hold on. Is that right? I think so. I think it's not just him, but that's how politicians think. They've got to be very calculating in terms of what they do and well, what can you they say. That? I can respect that within the context if, in fact, it's still moving in the right direction. But my calling is not to be strategic. We're in different lanes. You see, we, we got different lanes. My calling is to try to be a truth teller and a witness bearer and pursue truth given my own failures and falsehoods. Not to win. It's not that, well, I want to win in terms of making sure the issues are visible and the people's humanity are accessed. That's winning. That's a certain kind of we'll, winning. We'll go back, because the last part of the question I asked is, what do you think President Obama's presidency, Barack Obama's presidency, had anything to do, if at all, Dr. West, mm -hmm. with Donald Trump being elected president? No, I think that there was a slice of our fellow citizens who got the impression that black people were running things and they didn't want to be in a situation where black leadership was dictating their destiny. Now, the irony was Obama's leadership was tied to Wall Street, tied to military-industrial complex. Pretty white. He didn't say too much about race. I mean, he, he wouldn't say too much about race. And I, I would say over and over again, I'm not talking about race just in terms of skin pigmentation. Mm, mm. Race is about integrity, honesty, decency, generosity, and the humanity of people who have been hated and dominated. Mm. I would say exactly the same thing if we had a black supremacist civilization and white brothers and sisters have been enslaved for 400 years, or enslaved for 244 years, Jim Crow mm. for 100 years, 
and you got white bodies hanging from trees where you had black fight, then you got to be in solidarity with the, with yeah. the white brothers because it's yeah. a moral and spiritual issue. By the way, as Dr. West talks about this, do, do yourself a favor. Go on our PBS website, um, Dr. Gates. Or Henry, Henry Lewis Gates. Important work. Yeah, uh, Henry Lewis Gates, that's really important work, talking about the lynchings that went on in our country after the Civil War and the, and, and the museum that is dedicated to yeah, telling Brian, that part of the that's story. That's Brian Stevenson. That, that's tremendous. Yeah, that's brother, brother, brother Brian down in Montgomery. I saw that interview. Let me ask Absolutely. you this in a couple minutes we have. Um, when it comes to race and our ability to talk to each other, yes, yes, openly, honestly, with respect, as opposed to who are you with, Trump or not? Right. Are you here right. or are you here? Right. But I'm not saying Trump is all about race. What I'm asking is, how, how hopeful are you Dr. West, that we moving forward can have meaningful, respectful dialogue without all the vitriol and hate. Loaded question, I know, as we finish up. No, the thing is, we've got to first begin with ourselves. Are we willing to make sure we revel in the humanity of other people even when we disagree with them? To give them the benefit of being right or wrong, recognizing we could be right or wrong, and then pursue the dialogue together. As opposed to demonizing them, they must be bad people if they don't agree with that's me. That's right. No, that's not, and that's just not true because all of us have various kind of blindnesses. All of us have various kind of shortcomings and myopia. And to the degree to which we think we're pure, is the degree to which we're just reproducing the myth of America ourselves. We're so innocent. So you got a lot of liberal self-righteousness out there. Liberal self-righteousness. Oh, yeah, they look down on the working people, look down on conservative people, think that somehow they've got access to a truth, and these folk are just ignorant. That's innocence, too. We were criticizing the innocence mm. at the beginning. All of us have failures. Try again, fail again, fail better, mm. as Samuel Beckett. Try again, fail again, fail better. All of us have certain elements of failure built inside of who we are. The question is, can we accent the best of who we are? Because all of us have some real potential. But I tell you what, you still sound optimistic to me. Well, I'm full of hope, not optimism. I'm a prisoner of What's hope, but not optimistic. Real quick, what's the difference? Hope, hope means you're going to keep moving regardless of what the circumstances are. No matter what the evidence is, you keep loving, you keep fighting, you keep fighting for justice. Optimism means, what does the evidence look like? Does, does it look like it You're not even us? looking for evidence. Well, You're I'm just not looking for evidence. That's, ex exactly right. Well, Indeed. let me say this. I am hopeful, and I'm also optimistic and confident that folks who took the time to watch and listen to Dr. Cornell West for this very in-depth interview here in Atlantic City at the New Jersey Education Association will be better for it because they'll be questioning themselves. And uh, I cannot thank you enough. You but honor us. As long as your show is on, that's a sign of hope right there. I'm using that endorsement, Dr. West. Oh, please. <laughs> I, I say yes. Thank you. I'm in your corner, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, we are in yours. No, I'm Steve Adubato. That, more, way more importantly, is Dr. Cornell West. And we, uh, we thank you for staying with us. Catch you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Hackensack Meridian Health, the New Jersey Education Association, Berkeley College, New Jersey Sharing Network, the law firm of Gibbons PC, NJM Insurance Group, New Jersey Resources, Delta Dental of New Jersey, and by ADP. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media and by Jaffe Communications. Hi, I'm Elise Glennon. New Jersey Sharing Network is committed to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. We are proud to announce that the Transplant Games of America will come to New Jersey in July of 2020. 
This six-day festival will raise awareness about the need for organ, eye, and tissue donation and bring together families and individuals impacted by the gift of life. To find out more about how you can be a competitor, a volunteer, or a corporate partner, visit njsharingnetwork.org. Let the games begin. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. A tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.